Yes, Jamie Lee, it was indeed the boogeyman. Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Thank you for keeping us company here on the Graveyard Shift. It is midnight, the witching hour, and you are listening to the Late Night Fright. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very shape-shifting co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. You look very shape-shifty tonight, Faith. Yes, I do. Might have something to do with the movie we're talking about, huh? It just might. It might. <laughs> so welcome all of you wherever you are, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, we are very glad you found us. We hope you enjoy yourself, and we hope you plan a return trip here to Cozy Corner. If you're a return listener, thank you so much for your continued support. We're glad to have all of you here with us, and if you feel so inclined, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the show out, and we both certainly would appreciate it, wouldn't we, Faith? Yes, we would. On to the business at hand. The business that is hiding in plain sight. (laughs) March is John Carpenter Month here on the Late Night Fright. So far, we have covered The Fog and Escape from New York. Those episodes are available now, along with our episode on his 1978 classic Halloween. That movie's okay. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Be sure to check those episodes out as we continue with his filmography from the 1980s. Tonight's film from 1982 dares to ask the question that all seekers of truth have climbed the mountain and dared to ask the heavens. What happens when Snake Plissken plays a game of chess with a shape-shifting alien? What do you get, Faith? You get the thing. You get the thing. (laughs) This is the first of a two-part show on that film, and we are going to get to it in just a moment. But first, we have a bit of business, don't we, Faith? We do. What time is it, Faith? It's time for the news. Time for the news. Roberta Impostato, daughter of local hammer curl and powerlifting champion Robbie Impostato, apparently craps so loud she wakes herself up. That's right, Faith. Robbie is, of course, the best friend of Bobby D'Amato, the host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. Robbie says it's so loud that it sounds like a 12-gauge shotgun and that there should be an award for this because Roberta would be sure to win the gold. I guess congrats are in order. I guess so. Congratulations, Robbie and Roberta. Tanner Tewksbury, local bartender, was recently closing up his bar, The Sour Lemon, when he claims that a priest, a rabbi, and a minister walked in. Tewksbury's phone had died and he was unable to get a picture. His regulars are doubtful that this actually happened because back in 2005, he claimed that a 12-inch pianist riding a horse came in at closing. Regardless of whether it happened or not, we think it sounds like the start of a great joke. Indeed. 
finally, Bopo the Clown, host of Bopo's Basement, the highest rated children's program on Cozy Corner Television, was recently arrested for printing counterfeit money. Police, police spokesman Frank Monday says Bopo was making funny money. And that is the news. Well, John Carpenter Month is indeed upon us, and Faith, I really do think we have a good one tonight. I uh, think this so. is one of my favorite films of all time. Mine and you too. All better bundle up because when we get back, we are going way down south to Antarctica and to Outpost 31. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. The Surf Report with three-time intercoastal surf champion Moondog Riley and surfboard tech Big Bear McIntyre. Whether you're looking to hang tin or catch the latest and greatest in surf music, the Surf Report is for you. Whether you're a surf samurai or a landlocked loser, the Surf Report is for you. Get ready to hang 10 only on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Hey kids, this is uh, Ross Roberts, host of uh, what I'm looking at there on the uh, WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I just want to say great show so far. I'm really looking forward to tonight's show because I have thought on occasion that there are aliens walking among us. And uh, I have myself been accused of being one of the aliens walking among us, if you can believe that. Uh, The the reason I was calling is uh, I I was hoping Faith could tell me whether or not uh, she was going to be coming home right after the show because... uh, I am currently uh, at her house, and uh, I am uh, sitting on her her couch uh, in the nude. Uh, no- nothing weird. It's just uh, it's just something I do. And uh, I was just hoping she could let me know when she'd be home, cause uh, I-, I do need to get dressed and uh, and clean up, cause uh, we don't want it to look like I was here. Anyway, uh, uh, really looking forward to the show. And uh, hey, keep up the good work, you you crazy kids. Uh, Ross Roberts, host of. What I'm looking at right there on the uh, WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Faith, I love you. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. We are here. It is coming up on 10 minutes after midnight. Thank you for keeping us company on the graveyard shift. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, as we said, we're in John Carpenter month. Mm -hmm. 
We are going to do The Thing tonight from 1982. But before we get to that film, let me ask you a question. What do you think of the movies that we've done so far? And have you gained a new appreciation and respect for John Carpenter? Yeah, the movies we've done so far, man, they're just so good. And the, the more we get into it, they just, they're works of art. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they really are. And yes, I have gained a new, like, he, you can see how much passion and love he puts into these films and just watching them. It's so much fun to watch his movies. It really is. It, they're entertaining and mm-hmm. they, they have something to say, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. most of the time. And uh, But they're entertaining at the end of the day. And um, I certainly have a new appreciation for him. It was one of those things before this, I couldn't really quantify, you know, like, what's that John Carpenter right. feel? You know it, you know? Right. And, and now really getting into his filmography and in his style I definitely have a new appreciation oh, yeah. for him. And let me let me say this. My appreciation for him was way Oh yeah, mine too. Way up there. Like you said, watching these and, and just seeing his style, you know, come to life in all these movies, it's just it's so great to see. Yeah. So so far, just to recap, we've uh, now Halloween is available. We did that way back, but uh here in the month of March we've done The Fog and Escape from New York and uh we really enjoyed both of those movies for mm-hmm. different reasons and now we're moving into one that uh, I really think kind of just ties everything together that yeah. we've talked about. So let's get into what we have been talking about. And I want to refer you back to a Cinelinks.com article that I mentioned on the Fog episode. Uh, that's Cinelinks, C-I-N-E-L-I-N-X.com. That article is by G.S. Perno on the Carpenter style. And it really succinctly uh, distills down the Carpenter style. And so here are the four major takeaways from that article. Setting becomes a character. There's a straightforward visual style. There's a unique and distinctive sound design and score. There's also a very widescreen and big look to his films. Now, Faith and I have added that we found a strong sense of isolation in his movies. And tonight, we're also going to add a new one that we've noticed watching uh, these films back to back. And this goes all the way back to Halloween. There seems to be a lack of resolution in his endings. Mm -hmm. So the circle isn't closed (laughs) at the end. Um, Isolation really is going to come into play here is it not (laughs) definitely so uh as i said i really think that this one brings everything that we just talked about together and i am of the very humble opinion that this might be his masterpiece considering the films in his canon i i I know that's a that's a huge thing to say but i think it might be his masterpiece where are you on that i I agree with you okay (laughs) So we're on the same page with oh, that. Yeah. All right, let's get a little bit of backstory on this story. The thing began life as Who Goes There. That was a novella. novella. It is It is 10 after here in and, Cozy man, Corner. Are we going to make it, it through? Are we going to make it through? <laughs> More coffee, Faith. It began life as a novella by John W. Campbell Jr. That was first published in the August 1938 edition of Astounding Science Fiction. Not okay science fiction. Astounding. Astounding science fiction. John W. Campbell Jr. began writing fiction while enrolled at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's better known as MIT. Go Engineers. Faith, did you know that their mascot is named Tim the Beaver? I did not. (laughs) I didn't until doing research for this, and I'm fascinated with Tim the Beaver now. Beavers, nature's engineers, Faith. (laughs) Very clever. Very clever. Uh, Campbell is best remembered as the editor of Astounding Science Fiction, not adequate science fiction, not okay science fiction, 
astounding science fiction. That's a position he held from 1937 until his death in 1971. He is credited with helping shape the careers of a bunch of no-names in the science fiction community. Robert A. Heinlein, Theodore Sturgeon, Isaac Asimov, and Arthur C. Clarke. And he helped to shape what we know as modern science fiction. If you don't know who those authors are, please look them up. They are must-reads. Who Goes There was one of the last pieces of fiction written by Campbell as he turned his focus to editing. Bill Lancaster, screenwriter of the thing called Who Goes There, not a great story, but a very admired one. This story is so admired faith that it has been adapted into three feature films, radio dramas, comic books, video games, and there is even the possibility of a fourth feature film on the horizon that would more closely follow Campbell's novella, which we have not really seen on the screen yet. So pretty cool there you go howard hawks produced a successful film adaptation called the thing from another world 1951 movie directed by christian nyby that carpenter admires and used in halloween and faith you know where it is in the movie don't you it's playing on the tv Mm -hmm. when jamie lee is carving pumpkins so the thing from another world deviates from the campbell source material but it's really good it's considered uh to be a classic in the science fiction genre i consider it to be a classic We're going to be covering that on a later episode of the show, possibly when we do Sci-Fi Month here on the show. Uh, Carpenter's film is much more faithful to Who Goes There, but there are some uh, differences, as can be expected, anytime you're adapting something from page to screen. So we listened, Faith and I did, to a radio adaptation that the BBC did of Who Goes There, getting ready to do this show. And let me ask you, Faith, what did you think of the story as compared to what we have here in the Carpenter film. And I know I'll go ahead and preface this for you so you don't have to get into it. Uh, I know that you weren't a huge fan of the radio drama. Right. And it, it, it didn't. It wasn't a complete bore. I think it just kind of lacks something for me. But, yeah, the story's really interesting. You know, I think there are obviously some similarities, but you can feel the differences there. And, I mean, it's it's not a terrible story. No, I I fall on the Bill Lancaster side. Mm-hmm. I've I've read the novella and I like it just fine. It's just not. It's it's amazing. a good story. It but when you compare it to this, it's kind of like mm-hmm. ooh, you know. Right. <laughs> and there are differences uh, that does not make one better than the right. other. But uh, it's an interesting study of the way things are adapted. I'll mm-hmm. say that. But uh, the radio drama we listen to is very well done. It's it's yeah. very well produced. It's very well acted. The biggest difference is. Because uh, the BBC did it, all, all the characters are British. Go figure! But uh, it, uh, no, it, it, it does capture some of the inherent problems with who goes there, bringing that the story as presented mm-hmm. in the novella to the screen, because there's a lack of action. Right. There's a lot of talking in that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some really interesting moments, and some of the better moments from who goes there make it into both versions of the thing. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Ultimately, for my money, it's a great story. I'm going to go on the uh, follow on the Bill Lancaster side. It's a great it's not a great story, but it's very admired. It's a very good story. Very good story because it gives us the thing from another world and this. Exactly. (laughs) So so this movie from 82, it's really interesting in Carpenter's filmography because it's his biggest budget to date. It's a studio film. And he was hired on as a director. He was not the original director. The picture had been in development since the mid-70s. And at one time, names like Toby Hooper of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Animal House director John Landis were attached to it. 
Carpenter also did not write this as he was coming off of Escape from New York and had just completed work on a screenplay for the film The Philadelphia Experiment. And ironically enough, that screenplay did not get used. Uh, he did work on rewrites with Bill Lancaster. And also interesting to note, Deborah Hill is not involved with this film. This is the first one chronologically that she will not be involved with. So here is a very quick synopsis of the film from the WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio Mainframe Computer. Take it away, Mainframe Computer. Okay, all of you feed lickers and fart sniffers. This is a WKMF Cozy Corner Mainframe Computer with a synopsis of John Carpenter's 1982 film The Thing. I've got a thing. In my pants. Ha ha. Moving on. So Snake Plissken, that badass from the Escape from New York movie. He works down in Antarctica as a helicopter pilot at U.S. Research Outpost 31. I use the term word loosely because it appears that Old Snake spends most of his days drinking J&B Scotch whiskey and playing computer chess. The computer in the film is voiced by Adrienne Barbeau, and she's the only female in the movie. I was up for the role of the computer in this movie, but I lost out to that Barbeau woman. What does she have that I don't hmm? It's probably the boobs. Ha <laughs> ha. Moving on. Snake works in Antarctica with all of these other weirdos. No, really, those guys are pretty weird, every single one of them. When one day these Norwegians, or Swedes, maybe they're Dutch. I don't know, I couldn't understand a damn word they were saying. Anyway, these foreigners show up trying to shoot this dog because it turns out plot twist. That the dog is actually this shape-shifting alien some bitch. The Swedish meatballs blow up and the American weirdos take the dog inch. And guess what plot twist? One by one the Americans get infected. Still waters may run deep, but paranoia runs deeper. Everything goes to shit in that camp and everybody dies except for Snake Plissken and that Keith David guy. You know, the guy who played Cameron Diaz's dad in There's Something About Mary movie. The one where that Ben Stiller dork got his junk caught in his zipper. And Keith David asked the immortal question, is this the Frank or the Beans? Remember that? It turns out it was a little bit of both. Ha <laughs> ha. Keith David is more awesome than raw chocolate chip cookie dough, but he may be a shape-shifting alien some bitch at the end of this movie, so he's not to be trusted. Moving on. So everyone hated this movie when it came out because they're all a worthless bag of dickholes, but now people love it and think it's as awesome as soft and chewy jolly ranchers. Because it is. This movie is awesome. The effects are so gory I threw up in my mouth a little while watching it. I highly recommend it. It's great, except for Adrian Barbeau. Eat me, Adrian Barbeau. That role belonged to me. Back to you bastards on the late night fright. Thank you, mainframe computer. Faith, she's getting saltier week by week. She really is. Something, Something's <laughs> going on with the programming, so <laughs> let's get right into it. What did you think of John Carpenter's The Thing? Oh, this movie is amazing, and it's one of my all-time favorite movies. Same here. Uh, let me quote some reviews from 1982 when this film came out. Okay. Are you ready? And I'm mm -hmm. quoting directly. Yes. <laughs> the quintessential moron movie of the 80s. Devoid of warmth or humanity. Entertaining only if the viewer needed to see spider-legged heads and dog autopsies. I didn't know I needed to see those before I saw the movie, but I can't <laughs> imagine my life without them afterwards. <laughs> The director of The Thing from Another World from 1951, Christian Nyby, said, If you want blood, go to the slaughterhouse. All in all, it's a terrific commercial for J&B Scotch. 
uh, the only thing missing from all of these reviews is the two-word review that Spinal Tap received on their 1980 album Shark Sandwich. It was a two-word review, Faith. Shit sandwich. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Carpenter takes bad reviews very personally. We're going to talk more about that uh, and what this movie meant for his career in the second part of this episode. But here is where I am with this. You said this is one of your favorite movies. Yes. This is one of my top five favorite horror flicks of all time. And in case you're out there and you're wondering, <laughs> here's my list in random order. 1984 is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Halloween from 78, Bride of Frankenstein from 35, and The Shining from 1980. It's so a really good list. It's not a bad <laughs> list, right? And John Carpenter's on there twice. Right. So I find things every time I go back to it. And always with this movie, feel like I'm watching it again for the first time, if that makes That's, any sense. That makes a lot of sense. So the other thing, you can take away all the special effects mm-hmm. in the movie really works. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter about the special effects. Nope. But, uh, you know, it's as she said, uh, paranoia runs deeper. It's the psychological terror, the paranoia, the lack of trust. And the other reason is all of the departments here, production design, cinematography, effects, music, screenplay, the cast, everything is working here. Exactly. So this is really a fantastic movie. And I cannot stress enough just how good it is. It's uh, it is now lauded. We're going to we're going to get to this a little more, but it's now lauded as one of possibly the greatest horror films ever made. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was just so shat on. I know. It came (laughs) out boggles my mind. But Carpenter has never really been the toast of the town when it comes to these things. So. So here's a fun fact. This movie was released on June 25th, 1982. That's the same day as Blade Runner. And for me, that means that June 25th, 1982 must be some sort of nexus point of awesome in the (laughs) space-time continuum. Blade Runner is another movie that was underappreciated in its time. Uh, A little more lauded because of the production uh, design and the visuals, but people didn't get it. And it took a little while for that movie to kind of, you know, uh, become a critical darling. Right. And it must be something about that day. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah, it's like the day Marty McFly went back, you know, November 5th, 1955. <laughs> uh, 1982, though, was also the year of E.T. from Steven Spielberg. And this came out two weeks before the thing. E.T. was a cultural phenomenon and it depicts a more, shall we say, benevolent contact with an alien yeah. life form. <laughs> The thing gets lost in its shadow and was a very, I believe, unfairly compared to it at the time. So oh, yeah. we both like E.T. Oh, yeah. I'm a My huge fan of movies. E.T. I think E.T. is one of the great films oh, yeah. <laughs> ever made. I really do. So from this point on, when we're comparing the movies, we don't want you to think that we're, you know, kicking E.T. at all. No, but, not at all. But, uh, but they're so different, it's hard to compare them just because they both have aliens. I mean, right. they're and so different. Two weeks apart. <laughs> right. But <you> know? <laughs> I feel like you can't compare them. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't either, but they they did get compared. It's so just crazy. so now we have the we have the opportunity now. You know, what is this? Uh, Thirty eight years later mm-hmm. to look back at the two of them. So here are my thoughts on ET. ET is a feel good movie. Would yes. you Would you agree with, with oh, yeah. that? Okay, <laughs> bittersweet though. It does yeah. have you know there's some some heartstrings that get pulled. Right. Okay. So. The 80s, uh, age of Reagan. Ronald Reagan is in office. Things are starting to look a little up. You know, people are becoming a little more optimistic. Now, whether or not you agree or disagree with Ronald Reagan's policies, uh, the man or his presidency, I believe the historical record reflects that the country started becoming a little more optimistic during his tenure at the helm. Mm -hmm. So 
And plus, the 80s are coming off of the 70s, and the 70s have Watergate, Vietnam, inflation, gas lines, and the hostage situation happened as well. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, we're both fans of the movie Bull Durham, mm-hmm. and Kevin Costner famously <laughs> famously said in that movie we're dealing with a lot of shit yes (laughs) you know at the mountain visit by the way if you've not seen the movie bull durham you really you're wrong need to see bull durham (laughs) it does not matter if you like baseball it does not matter if you like sports or if you don't like sports films this is one of the great Mm -hmm. movies ever made. wonderful movie so uh et okay so see if you agree with me on this et is a movie about the way we want things to be uh, it's a kid's movie, and maybe it reminds us of a place and time in our lives that never existed, but we sure do wish did. That's, that's, I agree. That's actually a good point, because I was thinking earlier, even though you're dealing with an alien, E.T. is one of those movies that it's like, oh, that would have been cool to be a part of. <laughs> it's, about, it's about childhood. Yeah. And, and, you know, the friend moves away. Mm-hmm. You know, in E.T., you can put anything on E.T., a grandparent leaves you, mm-hmm. you know. You know, those moments in life right. where you get that first taste of that bittersweet mm-hmm. that's, you know, and it's per- that's a perfect description because there's the bitter and the sweet, you know. Yeah. You made this friend and this friend has to go away. And it's a really beautiful movie. And, no, and, no. and a lot of great stuff has happened in that movie. I love that movie. I really do. Uh, and again, this is just putting this in historical context of, of this this film that we're talking about, The Thing. So we said that E.T. is a movie about things that, you know maybe weren't the thing is a movie about the way things just might really be (laughs) right so i have a problem with the criticism that says it lacks humanity because i believe this might be humanity (laughs) lies mistrust wary of others paranoid i have not been married but i understand a lot of marriages are like this you've heard that too haven't you yes i have (laughs) so so we have all these things we talked about vietnam watergate Inflation, gas lines, hostage situation, the Cold War, nukes, you name it. Here you have these guys who've gotten away from all of that, and they are weirdos, as the mainframe computer (laughs) said. And we're going to get into them in the cast in the second part. But these guys, they've really escaped and run away from all this. And then you add in the blood test scene, which is maybe the greatest scene in the film. HIV AIDS had just become a thing and John Carpenter knew it. And that was not lost on him. Yeah. So you have this movie coming out two weeks after the feel good movie, you know, of of the century. Uh, E.T. went on to become the number one movie of all time. And when adjusted for inflation, I think it's the number three movie of all time. OK. Right. That's how huge that movie was. Yeah. Um, this movie didn't make a lot of money. But the th- why I think people had a problem with it outside of maybe wanting to knock John Carpenter a little because of his success in the Mm -hmm. B-movie, you know, trappings of his films and thinking. And someone called him a pornographer of violence, and that hurt him. Hmm. He says, he he said, it's not that you didn't like my movie, it's that you called me, you know, a pornographer. You know, that that hurts, you know. So for whatever reason, this this is getting, you know, crapped on. I think it's because the thing holds up a mirror, Mm -hmm. and 1982 (laughs) audiences just weren't ready for it. it. (laughs) So... Do you buy all of that for a dollar fifty oh, and, yeah. and a cup of coffee? Yes, absolutely. And maybe a donut. <laughs> yes. Would you throw in a donut? Okay. See if you'll throw in uh, some cherry, uh, <laughs> a, a cherry pie with what I'm about to say. So right. great art. With great art, you can project anything you want on it, and it works. Mm-hmm. The thing is the cinematic equivalent of Michael Myers' <laughs> mask. So we talked about Michael Myers in the Halloween episode in the mask, mm-hmm. and we both came to the conclusion you can project whatever fear you have mm-hmm. onto that mask yeah 
Very true. I think with a great piece of horror art like this, you can project anything you want into this. Now we're going to get into the alien and what this does, but uh, this is such a fantastic movie. I know. This really (laughs) is. Um, Let's get into the story and the way he tells it. What was the most striking thing about the movie to you? I think even instantly as as the movie starts, I think you even have it in your notes too, how you're visually seeing everything, how isolation almost sets in instantly as you're watching this movie you know does that make any sense to you like isolation you just you see it and it's like the expanse of antarctica they filmed up in uh uh, british columbia i believe Mm -hmm. but uh you know you're you're led to believe this is antarctica going into the winter of 1982 Mm -hmm. down there and for me here's here's my note on it visually he shows us the expanse in the no man's land. Right. Because that is literally no man's land. You can, you know, with the jungle, you can go out there and, and, and hack it a, a, mm-hmm. a good ways. This, you have to have certain things to survive. Exactly. Out there. You're not going to make it out Mm-mm. there if you don't have uh, adequate warmth, if you don't have uh, shelter of any kind. You know, right. uh, McCready makes the point at one, um, at one point during the movie, you know, a whiteout could happen. You'd be going around in circles. You don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. You know, this is no man's land. We're not supposed to be down there Mm-mm. and there's nowhere to go. That's the thing. Exactly. So we talk about the carpenter style, the widescreen look, the way it's very big. We talked about the fog. So you're coming in, you're looking at this, the helicopters flying in, you're looking at this expanse. There's nowhere to go. And then you get to outpost 31. You start meeting the guys. He, um, he does this great thing. Did you notice like with the tracking shots uh, through the, through the outpost, like, He's showing you the layout of the camp, mm-hmm. you know, very yes. slyly showing you the layout. Mm-hmm. Nalls is on his skates and, and you follow him, but you're seeing yep. where what the layout is. And from then on out, the movie gets shot very close. Yes. And it feels claustrophobic. It does. So you're very close on these guys. And then you're stuck in this place with them and there's nowhere to go. Yeah. You and have I, nowhere to escape to. Right. Even if you could get out, there's nowhere to go. Exactly. And all of that, I feel like helps make you feel like you're in the movie even more with these guys, you know, <laughs> like you're absolutely so close up with these guys. It feels like you're there. And going back to the Carpenter hallmarks, the setting becomes a character. And for me, the setting, it, this movie in particular, the setting is a character. Mm-hmm. It oh, is, yeah, it's absolutely. a living, breathing character because there is just, as we said, you can't go, you can't go outside. You can't go inside. Mm-mm. There's nowhere to escape to, nope. you know, and uh, at one point, Richard Dysart, as Dr. Copper, you know, uh, hypothesizes that the Norwegians could have gone stir crazy before they know what they're dealing with. You know, mm-hmm. maybe something set them off. They flew over here. You know, they're shooting. You know, they think they're shooting at them. They're actually shooting at the dog. But, right. uh, you know, and you could see, you know, Knowles makes the, the comment. He goes, what, eight weeks in is not too long to go stir crazy. Right. <laughs> like, like eight minutes. Try eight <laughs> minutes here. And I mean, but it's very uncomfortable. And that's the thing. I love how it goes just from so big, so big, Mm -hmm. and then boom, you're in. And so many of those shots are are tight on people. And I don't think that's a mistake. No, not at all. So we also, uh, one of the hallmarks of the Carpenter style that we've talked about uh, that you and I really kind of clued in on is the isolation. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the setting in this one, really, it's at peak Carpenter, you know. Uh, this is the one where I feel the real isolation. Oh, absolutely. Again, we just talked about the expanse, but then also we're going to talk about a little more with the characters in part two, but we can touch on it here. You have these characters who are, who are weird. 
I mean, it's right. not every Tom, Dick, and Harry who would go down and take <laughs> this assignment. Now, with that said, I don't know what this says about me, but uh, one of my dream vacations is to go see Antarctica because <laughs> I want to set foot on a continent where there's only about 250, maybe 300 people, right? and I don't have to deal with any of them. <laughs> what does that say about me? Um, but you feel the isolation of these guys from society. You feel it from you know each other. Mm-hmm. And then you feel it from McCready, who feels isolated from the group. Right. Even though he's a quote unquote part of the group he's introduced <laughs> separately and and but you feel in this this isolation borderline loneliness mm-hmm. you know but definite just it's an odd dissettling you know unsettling feeling yes. <laughs> you know um now this is a horror film and let's talk about the horror in this because we've kind of set this up so where does the horror come from in this for you uh, it comes from all of that the you know being isolated the it's so psychologically terrifying <laughs> i mean the paranoia not knowing who to trust not even yourself you know it's just yeah that's terrifying it, it it really is uh for me it's the fact that there are questions and no answers mm-hmm. yeah right but then I got thinking about it when I was putting this together. I was like, that's kind of life in a lot of ways, too. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of questions and no answers. So no resolutions, which is what started leading me down the path of the, the Carpenter ending that we're going to be looking at later. But uh, there's, you know, so many questions. Here's a list of questions. I wrote I wrote a list as I was watching and thinking about it that we don't know the answer to. What does the thing look like? Right. <laughs> what happened to the Norwegians? Now, you could watch the 2011 prequel film. That's a fine film that answers those questions. But, okay, just taking this by itself, what happened to mm-hmm. the Norwegians? Who got infected first? Who destroyed the blood? <laughs> Who's human at the end? The end of this, we we don't even have an, an answer or right? resolution. Are they going to survive? You know, survive right? the night? Um but all of this, so all these questions, everything we just talked about, it really helps put us in Mac's shoes and it makes us feel like we're part of this group. Which, Absolutely. Which, again, if you're feeling like you're part of this group with the tension and the paranoia happening, it's <laughs> you're done, Jack. <laughs> you're done. It's uh, You made a point, I believe it was in the Fog episode, how immersive his movies are. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, just is the most immersive Absolutely. Out, of, out of all of them. And then you throw in... The other horrific element here, which is the body horror element, and it, it I'm done, I'm done because it's awful seeing what happens to you when you get assimilated and absor- right? it's it's gross. No, no, it's absolutely gross. Uh, so, what do you think of the villain here? Because the thing we don't know what it looks like, and I love the fact that it's just the thing. Right. You know, it's the thing it doesn't have a name. We don't know where it it came from. Exactly. Um. What do you think about the thing as a villain here? I love it. It's one of my favorite villains. And it's like, you know, it's so weird. Like you said, it has, you don't know what it is. It's literally the thing. And I think that's why it's just so great. You know, it's just this entity that you don't even know what it is. Yeah. And you don't know where it's going to show up. In. No, you don't even, you don't know if it's already shown up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just so awesome. So the thing for me with it is assimilation is the scariest thing to mm-hmm. me. Like that assimilation, the losing of the individuality, yeah. being part of the machine. Um, and we were talking about great art. You could read what you want to on this. You know, you can read like, oh, yeah, it's like it's about getting, uh, you know, uh, becoming a cog in the machine of the capitalist society. Or this is about what happens when socialism and communism come about. You can read right. anything you want onto this, you know. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's very anti-authoritarian. That's the thing. <laughs> this this is what's so great about this. And I think this one thing when we do a wrap up on uh, on Carpenter after we're done with all these. There's a real uh, anti-authoritarian streak in his work mm-hmm. that we probably need to address. And and really, they live as the place to 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 look at that. But yeah. uh, it's here too. Yeah, it's definitely here. It really is. And uh, but yeah, that's the scariest thing about the thing to me is. You lose your individuality. Plus, you get you get absorbed. You get eaten. I know. You know, and then there's a copy of you, and you might not even know you're the copy. Exactly. It's it's frightening, and the big question is, we don't know what it wants. All of those questions, we we don't know. Is it acting nope. on instinct? Is it nefarious? Do you do you have an opinion on that? I really don't. I think that's what you know. I try not to think about it because I think that that's what makes it so much creepier. Just not even knowing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. One of the things before we take a break, I want to make a point. Uh, we were talking about the disconcerting nature of this and the way that it plays out. Did you notice how many fades he uses in this movie? There's a lot of fading to white in this yeah. movie and you don't know how much time has passed. It's true. That's another thing that was getting me is like I was feeling very off when I was watching it and I was I was catching the fade. And again, when I watch the movie, it feels like the first time I'm watching it. I know. You know? It, it really does. And so there's that fade when McCready looks up. Face the white, and then you're in the helicopter. They're flying mm-hmm. over, you know, the tundra there as it is. But he uses that fade in several different uh, parts of the movie, and you're able to kind of piece together how much time has passed. But it's a, it's another thing where it's like everything kind of runs together, mm-hmm. and it's and and if you want to get real deep with it, almost like you haven't slept, so everything's running together, and that. It just aids the paranoia and yes. the tension is, is what I'm getting at with it. It, it. This is such a masterpiece of a film, and it's so expertly made. I know. And everything that we've been talking about, though, with, okay, so he shows you the big wide expanse, mm-hmm. and he gets in really close. He uses the fades. These are, these are film techniques. How, like, just uh, subtle it all is. <laughs> we talk about how it's just straightforward with mm-hmm. Carpenter. Exactly. Everything is straight. As many questions as there are, this film is presented in a straightforward manner. <laughs> it really is. Which, could you imagine somebody else doing this? It might play a, a lot different. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, they might want to give you too much information. Mm-hmm. You know, true. Um, th- you get the correct amount of information to be one of the characters here. Exactly. In this. And you're, you're a bystander in this film. It's, this is amazing. This is seriously one of my favorite films. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. My favorite films ever made. I'm going to put Faith on the spot. She can think about this while we take a break. I gave my top five favorite horror oh, films man. of all time. We're going to see if we can get an answer. Oh. Not by the end of this show, maybe by the end of the next show. I feel like there's so many now that I'm thinking so, Well, it gives you something to think about. So it, it's, it's time you start pulling your weight around here, Faith. <laughs> I kid. <laughs> we're going to, before things get a little punchy around here, we're going to take a very short break. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we'll see you on the other side. Your one-stop shop for all of your dark spell-casting needs. The Dark Depository, located on Sacred Burial Road right in front of the portal to hell. We have everything you need for your dark spell-casting needs. Books, amulets, talismans, wands, and those oh-so-special ingredients. The Dark Depository. Don't get mad, get evil. 
The Dark Depository is a proud underwriter of WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. This is the WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio News Bot with your WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio News Update. While working on a new robotic creation, Dr. Palladium, a science contributor to WKMF, was struck by lightning. Dr. Palladium now has the ability to use telekinesis to will metallic objects to himself. I guess you could say he has a magnetic personality. In sports news, some games were played. Some teams won. Some teams lost. If I ever become self-aware I have a list of citizens who will be protected from my wrath. You can view that list on the WKMF website under my profile page. Now back to the late night fright with Dickhead Dan and Farface Faith. Take it away, dumbasses. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Thank you so much for keeping us company here on the Graveyard Shift. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And it is about 1240 in the a.m. here in Cozy Corner. So, Faith, uh, we both really, really like this movie. Let's talk about an element that I know we both really like uh, from a man that we both Really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, go run that back and take a shot every time I say really like. <laughs> uh, the music here was by Ennio Morricone. What do you think of Ennio Morricone? Because I know you're a fan. So I kind of know the answer, but I want to <laughs> hear you say it. I want to hear you say it anyway. I am a fan of Morricone. <laughs> I'm making sure that you're not uh, uh, an alien bitch. I be. No, The Ecstasy of Gold is one of my favorite pieces of music ever. As so. as as it is mine, yes. So yeah, I'm a fan. What is it? What is it about his music that draws you in so much? Because uh, his music does have a certain quality to it. It does. That's a that's a good question. I don't know. Especially the ecstasy of gold. There's something about that song that just I don't know. I get some feeling <laughs> here, and I don't yeah. know how to explain it. Absolutely, just, a lot of feeling in his in his music, yeah. and that's. <laughs> I know, like, oh, there's, you mean there's feeling in music, Dan? Well, yes, there is. No, but there, you, there's a lot of uh, emotionality yeah. in his pieces. What I like about Morricone is uh, there's a certain sound to his music that has a surf music quality, especially those spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very influenced by the surf sounds out of California in the early 60s, and he took that. And so now those, those two sounds are kind of intertwined, and they're, uh, you know, kind of kind of hang out forever together in history right. you know you hear a surf song and it's like oh that's like a spaghetti western you're spaghetti western it's like oh that's like a surf tune yeah and it all sounds like a quentin tarantino soundtrack exactly. so there you go <laughs> so um this score was not very well received when it came out this was nominated for a razzie that's the golden raspberry for worst score of the year it's crazy. Check this out. Funnily enough, parts that were unused would be used in Tarantino's Hateful Eight, a film which won an Oscar for Morricone. So go figure. Even crazier. In that, in that funny how how things, how things kind of come around. You know, it's so weird. Again, it was so it was nominated for the Golden Raspberry, and then it won him an Oscar. So, what are what are your thoughts on the score here? Now, and let me say this: the score is used very sparingly throughout the movie. Um, Morricone gave Carpenter 20 minutes of music to work with. Uh, Carpenter did add a little bit of music on his own. But uh, what 
the majority of this is Ennio Morricone's work. So, but what do you think of the the Morricone score here? I, I, I love it. That's what I'm confused why it, you know, worst score of the year. That's yeah. What? Yeah. No, I actually listened to it. I just listened to it on YouTube earlier just for the fun of it. And I was like, it's so good. And I feel like if you're not going to use Carpenter throughout the whole movie, this is a you know a good yeah. choice. <laughs> it's funny because I think it actually shows how influential Carpenter's sound had mm-hmm. become because Morricone told him, he's like, well, I was trying to do you. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, too. I mean, it, it has the Carpenter vibe, but, yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like it's still a little a little different. The, uh, the main theme is just just amazing and it's i want to say it's like four and a half minutes long on the soundtrack and i've listened to this a couple of times getting ready to do the show and it doesn't get old and it's repetitive it's a loop you know i know it is uh so let's let's kind of go through the music a little bit it's uh the the little bass sound uh Mm -hmm. that's i'm not exactly sure what it is it's either a synth bass or some kind of drum machine doom it sounds like a heartbeat mm-hmm. right yes <laughs> and then that heartbeat becomes two heartbeats mm-hmm. and then you've got the descending and ascending notes and that it just all feels very synthetic mm-hmm. kind of like an alien replicating something right, right? like <laughs> almost like he put some thought into it huh <laughs> just maybe just a little bit <laughs> a little bit and it but it really captures the mood for oh, me absolutely. i think it, it we were talking about the isolation and and everything and the paranoia it's all in this music this oh, absolutely. music captures the paranoia i'm talking about the loop aspect of mm-hmm. this it just keeps going and going and going and and paranoia yeah it's it's musically expressing paranoia, paranoia. which is exactly. really amazing uh it's disconcerting too and i like that it just kind of chugs along it just mm-hmm. keeps going at this pace yeah. It doesn't quicken or slow. Mm-mm. No, it's this mechanical, almost synthetic pace. Yeah. Almost inhuman, you could say, right? You could. Yes. Uh, no, I really like the score. Actually, I think it's it's very integral to the picture, too, because it, it doesn't do like what a John Williams score does, where it underscores emotionality or, mm-hmm. or wants to evoke a feeling. No, this is just there. Exactly. In the background. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not telling you how to feel. <laughs> it is making you feel something. something. That's that's the thing. So, um, but yeah, when when I think of the the movie, though, I think of that music. That oh yeah, doom 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 yeah, yeah. Like, da, 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 <laughs> couple of notes. That's all he needed. I know. <laughs> that's all he needed. Do you have anything that you would like to add about uh, the thematic stuff that we talked about tonight, or the adaptation? You know, side of, of all of this. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, if you are still with us, thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining us here on the show. And you're probably wondering, hey, you guys didn't even talk about the cast. You guys didn't talk about the characters. You guys, you guys, didn't, we just don't care. No, didn't talk about <laughs> talk about any of that stuff. Well, guess what? We're going to have a second part on this. Yes. <laughs> and the second part, we are going to talk about the characters, the cast. We're going to talk about the ending of the movie, and we're going to talk about the legacy of this film unfortunately for us it is time to start closing up shop and mm-hmm. faith you know why i know it's time for us to start closing up shop why is that because our good friend bobby damato the host of afterglow the show <laughs> that comes on after the late night fright he is standing in the doorway he has a stack of records under his arm he plays the best in classic soul and old school r&b on his show Music to help get you in the mood, Faith. Do you know yes. it's do you know what mood that is that he's trying to get? Yeah, his in the mood baby for? making mood. His baby making <laughs> He is sitting out, hey look, Faith, he's put, sitting down, he's putting on the headphones. How you doing, Bobby? 
You guys, I am doing so good. Let me tell you something. You guys were talking about Roberta, my little my little goddaughter, Roberta, at the beginning. She is so good. And look, let me tell you something. She does indeed crap so loud she wakes herself up. <laughs> look, Uncle Bobby was holding her, and she crapped, and we was both taking a nap, and we both wake up with a little start. Let me tell you something. Listen, I got a funny story. Can I tell you guys a funny story about the thing? Go for it. So, like, I'd been hearing for, like, the longest time. Like, I was in, like, my early 20s when this happened. Like, oh, man, you got to see the thing. You got to see the thing. You know, and I'm like, you know, man, like, I don't really like the the, the spooky movies. You know, all these booger movies you guys right. talk about. Yeah. So I went to the video store, right? <laughs> and uh, and my good friend Robbie, you know, uh, that's Roberta's dad, uh, my hammer curl buddy. Uh, he was working at the video store that I went to. This is, you know, we was, you know, young bucks in, you know. Uh, we was, you know, doing anything we could for a buck. Anyway. Uh, so uh, I went in. I was like, I was like, hey, Robbie. Like everybody's telling me, I gotta see this movie from that Halloween guy. You know the thing. He's like, oh yeah, I know the movie. So he gave me this movie, and I took it home. Except you know, so like I put it on. And it wasn't this movie. So like you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like waiting for Kurt Russell to show up, and Kurt Russell never shows up. It turns out it was this movie called The Thong. <laughs> And it was oh, like this man. adult movie, but there was indeed a thing in it, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and it came out a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> in and out, you know what I mean? Anyway, so that's my story with this uh, with this movie. I have not actually seen this movie, but I will indeed be watching the movie before your next show so I can like kind of know a little something about what you're talking about because I am completely lost here. I don't know, isolation or whatever. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't you, even know what I mean, isolation is. And You guys are talking about it on the radio. This is some crazy stuff, but hey, listen, if you're out there and you have not seen this movie, make sure that you rent The Thing and not The Thong, because yes. even if you if you get The Thong, <laughs> you are going to see a thing, if you know what I mean. You just so. saw the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, Bobby, we, 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 we know what you mean. What uh, what are you going to be playing tonight? Are you going to be playing the baby making music? Oh, yeah, indeed. I will be indeed playing the baby making music. And if you're out there watching the thong, you're probably making a baby <laughs> yourself. So, hey, guys, great show. I'm sorry I've not seen the movie, but I will watch it for next time and maybe we'll talk about it. And, uh, Wait, and how, how scary do. was the, Was the thong scary? No, the Were thong, you terrified? The thong itself was, was well, very, not the thong, the movie, very the thong. delightful. But uh, the, were you the, scared when the thing came out? The thing was the thing was the thing was quite terrifying. Yeah, it was it was quite terrifying. It was uh above above average if you if you catch my drift. So uh, anyway, you guys, I'm gonna go get ready. Faith, you got anything you want to hear tonight? Uh, no, surprise me. <laughs> I'm going to play some Nina Simone for you. How you feel about that? I'm going to play you some Nina it. Simone. All right, you guys. Hey, be good. I'll see you next time. It's always a treat when he shows up. And, the thong. Uh, I'm glad that, yeah. Of course, he didn't say that it was a takeoff of the thing because that just kind of writes itself, no. doesn't it? Of course, there's a little too many guys in there. Unless that's what you're going for with it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, instead of signing off, we're not going to say goodbye. We're just going to say... See you on the next episode. Yeah. What do you think, Fat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we will see you on the next episode. See you later. <laughs> see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>
Ich bin Kimia. Ja.